Speaking to the choir for that. Good reminder of what we are about to share in just a few moments. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be turning to Mark's Gospel, chapter 4. We're back in the Gospel of Mark. After a break for Christmas, we'll be in chapter 4 this morning, picking up there in our study through Mark's Gospel. As you're turning there, pastor once said this statement. It's not difficult, such a world as we live in, to get a person interested in the message of the Gospel. It's not difficult to get a person interested in the Gospel. It is terrifically difficult to sustain that interest. In our kind of culture, anything, even news about God, can be sold if it's packaged freshly. But when it loses its novelty, it goes on the garbage heap. There's a great market for religious experience in our world, but there is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue. There's little inclination or desire to sign up for the long apprenticeship and what earlier generations called holiness. Well, beginning today and for the next few weeks, we'll be looking at the topic of faith as Jesus would teach us about it. In Mark chapter 4, specifically verses 1 through 34, it's the, it's the large block of teaching, the first time Jesus actually teaches in Mark's gospel where Mark has recorded it. And he's going to be teaching us about faith. And I want to say up front that these are hard things. Now, if you recall, prior to our Christmas series, I I tried to to preface this, that we're going to deal with some hard and difficult teaching. And we'll begin that this morning. These are hard things, and I do not take them up lightly. And if it were left to me, if I were just choosing what I wanted to preach, I'd probably skip some of this stuff. Because it's just hard. But... This is why I preach expositionally. This is why I preach through the Bible, verse by verse, in order, because these hard texts are as necessary to our life in Christ as the easier ones. And so, the main idea this morning that I want us to see from Mark chapter 4 is that we must take great care in how we hear the Word of God. We must take great care in how we hear the Word of God because Jesus is only truly understood by those with spiritual ears. So if you've got your Bible open to Mark 4, I'll invite you to stand if you are able. Stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teachings he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path. The birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, 
let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So that they may indeed see, but not perceive. And may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those who are sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. Let's pray. God, I ask for help. As we study this word this morning, it's your word, so we know that it's a good word. So God, I pray that you would come now and open it to our hearts and our minds and cause us to see wondrous things. We pray this in faith and in your name. Amen. You may be seated. So as I said just a moment ago, we must take great care in how we hear the word because Jesus is only truly understood when we hear with spiritual ears. As I said also a few moments ago, this block of teaching is about faith. This verses 1 through 34, which we will look at over the next few weeks, is about faith. It's about the kingdom of God. It's about how the kingdom advances. And it's about hearing. Jesus will use the word hear some 13 times in these 34 Verses. It, it is a major theme as Jesus is teaching beside the sea. And so this block of teaching in chapter 4 is set against or comes after chapter 3, which is, doesn't, you know, it's pretty common sense, but we need to remember what was in chapter 3. And towards the end of chapter 3, if you will recall, there are a varied response, there's varied responses to Jesus. He's been teaching, he's been doing miracles, he's been casting out demons, he's been calling those to leave their lives and follow him. And some of the crowds were only interested in what Jesus could do for them. They just they had a self-serving interest in Jesus. And then we encountered Jesus' family who thought he was crazy, he was out of his mind, and so they said, we've got to go get him and, because he's embarrassing us. And then, and then Mark brings in this, this group of Pharisees that have come up from Jerusalem to deal with Jesus, and they accuse him of being in cahoots with Satan, that you are doing the work of Satan by the power of Satan. And so they, they call him Satan. And then if you will remember, at the end of chapter 3, Jesus is teaching in a house. His family has called him crazy. The Pharisees have called him Satan. And now the family has come looking for Jesus, but he's swamped in this house teaching. And somebody says, Jesus, your family's outside looking for you. And Jesus says, well, who, 
Who is my mother? Who is my brothers? Who are my sisters? And he says, those who do the will of God, my mothers, my brothers, and my sisters. And if you will also recall, he was establishing these two categories of those who are insiders and those who are outsiders when it comes to the message of the gospel, to truly understanding who Jesus is. You see, those who were seated around Jesus, hearing Him teach and exposit the Word, and who were faithfully following Him, Mark says those are the insiders. They've heard, they've understood. And yet, His family and the Pharisees and the crowds, they misunderstand Jesus, and so they are the outsiders. And so this parable, this parable that Jesus gives, is answering the question, why are there so many responses to Jesus? How is it that we could have all of these varied responses to this same man who's preaching this same message? How is it that people could hate Jesus, could be amazed by Him, could have all of the fanfare and obsession that we see in the crowds? How is it that His family could accuse Him of being mentally ill? How is it that these other religious leaders could accuse Him of being demonic? pastor said this parable is a teaching about God's kingship and it aims to explain the confusing fact that a proclamation of such ultimate importance can be ignored or even opposed by some who hear it it reveals a fundamental clash between divine and human values and the necessity of more than human insight if the purpose of God is to be understood and welcomed. And what he's saying, what that pastor is rightly observing from this parable, is that we will never come to understand Jesus rightly until Jesus opens our eyes and unstops our ears to see and hear rightly. Otherwise, we would fall into some of the other categories. We would be the people with the fanfare. Wow, Jesus can do a lot of great things. I need to be around him. Or Jesus might can help me get along in my life, so I need to get Jesus so he can help me along in my life. Or I might be offended by what Jesus says because he's talking about me and I might hate him. And so I will never see what Jesus is saying, I will never see or hear the truth of the gospel until God opens my eyes to see and ears to hear. At the same time, at the same time, there is a definitive and clear call. Hear and obey. Hear and obey. There is just truth. Nothing happens in our heart until God changes our heart alongside of you should clearly hear and see and respond. And the Bible makes no efforts, brothers and sisters, the Bible makes no efforts to explain how these two things fit together for us. They meet and they mingle and they make perfect sense in God's mind even though they seem somewhat contradictory to our minds. And yet it is so very clear here in the Bible. So let's look first at the structure of this passage. Jesus has gone back to the seashore and he's teaching and a crowd has gathered so much so, if you recall the last time he's on the seashore, people are falling over each other trying to get to Jesus. And he says, bring the boat just in case I need to get away. 
And so now he's decided the crowd is so big that he's now in the boat and he's pushed away from the shore and he's teaching. He's teaching from the boat. And so he teaches about this parable. There's a sower and he went out to sow the seed. Some of the seed fell along the path and it was no good. Some seed fell along the rocky soil and it was not able to take root and so the sun scorched it. Some of the seed fell among weeds and thorns and the weeds and the thorns grew up and choked it out. And then some of the seed fell on good soil, and that seed took and produced a harvest. Well, if Jesus had not explained this parable, the parable would really have no meaning. It would just be about a guy planting some seed and getting some harvest, only about 25% of what he planted. If we took the, if we took the, the number of soils, literally, there's only a 25% yield here. I don't think that's what Jesus' point is. But without Jesus' explanation, this is just a story about a man or a woman planting seed. But Jesus does explain. And what he says is that the soils, these four types of soils, represent the spiritual state of the hearts of men and women. The spiritual states of our heart. Some of us are like the stony path, or some of us are like the path, the roadside. Some of us are the stony ground. Some of us are the weed and thorn infested soil. And some of us are good soil. Well, before we get to the explanation, Mark sandwiches in Jesus' teaching. Now, this doesn't happen immediately. Jesus is going to be teaching by the seashore for some time. So he teaches the parable of the sower. And then chronologically, he would skip down to verse 21. He's teaching about the lamp under a basket and the parable of the seed growing. And at some other time, the disciples come to him. But so that we would understand, the reader, so that we would understand, Mark puts this explanation right in the middle. If you recall, we did this with the Pharisees. His family is, in chapter 3, his family is looking for him, and then Mark inserts this story about the Pharisees calling him Satan, and then we return to the story of the family. But Mark's doing the same thing here. He's inserting this story that happened at another time to help us understand fully what Jesus is saying. And so he kind of sandwiches in this encounter with the disciples. And a main point is that the kingdom, the, the, the knowledge of the kingdom of God, the secrets of the kingdom of God, Jesus says, those things must come from God. The secrets of the kingdom of God, or your translation may read mysteries, those things, the knowledge of those things, must come from God and from God alone. Man cannot deduce his way to know the kingdom of God. I can't somehow go out into nature and study nature enough to come away with a full and complete picture of God. I cannot talk to enough people who are spiritual so that we can together decide right things about the kingdom of God. If I am to know the truths of the kingdom of God, Jesus says, they must come from God alone. That's what Paul says in Romans 1. It's clearly perceivable from nature that somebody made the world. But what, not, what is not clearly perceived is that I need Christ as my Savior because He was God's Son who died on the cross for my sins and was raised. Well, to make His point or to bring this kind of to fullness, Jesus quotes a text from Isaiah chapter 6. 
He says in Mark chapter 4, verse 11, he said, To you, this is the disciples and those from the crowd who had come. So it's not just the disciples. Some from the crowd had come to ask Jesus about the parables. He said, to you it's been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But to those outside, everything is in parables. So that they may indeed see but not perceive. And may indeed hear but not understand, lest they turn and be forgiven. And so here's the quote from Isaiah 6. Well, if you know Isaiah 6, Isaiah is in the temple and he's seeing God high and lifted up. The throne, the, 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 his robe is filling the temple and his glory is on full display. And one of the angels brings a coal and places it on Isaiah's mouth and cleanses him. And then he makes that famous, God makes that famous statement, uh, who will go for us? Who will go and tell? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. Well, it's not enough just to know that that verse in Mark 4 comes from Isaiah 6. We need to understand the context of Isaiah 6 in order to understand why did Jesus quote that verse right here. In Isaiah 6, there's a judgment scene going on. In Isaiah 5, we are told that God is about to bring judgment on the nation of Israel. And he uses the language of a vineyard. He said, I planted a vineyard and I expected grapes. And when I came back, there were wild grapes. Meaning that someone had come in and sown something foreign. Someone had brought something alien into the vineyard and ruined it. Meaning, Israel had brought pagan gods, false gods, into this people that God said don't have any false gods. They had brought in false gods. And so Isaiah 5 is a very terrifying chapter where God says, I'm going to judge Israel. And in Isaiah 5, towards the end, he says, I'm going to run a flag up the banner pole and I'm going to whistle for foreign nations to come and exile you and they will come speedily. And so God is announcing in Isaiah 5 that because of the hard-heartedness because of the sinfulness of this people, because of their own rejection of him, judgment was coming. And it was coming on his account. And so in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah is seeing this grand vision of God in his temple. And when, he, when God asked, who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. Do you know what God says to him? God says to him, yes, Isaiah, you will go. You will speak. You will preach. But you will speak to this people so that they may indeed see but not perceive. You will preach the truth of God to this people, so that they may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And so Isaiah's task was to go to a hard-hearted people who had rejected God and not evangelized them, but preached to them the truth of God that God said it's going to harden their hearts even more. You're going to go speak the truth of God to them because it's going to judge them. The truth of God will judge this hard-hearted people. And so Isaiah goes and he preaches. And that's why the prophets in the Old Testament had a terrible job. That's why many of them were killed. Because they said truthful things that judged the people and caused their hearts to grow harder. And they responded and they responded in sin. 
And so part of Jesus' quoting Isaiah here needs to help us to see, or helps us to see, that to the one to whom the kingdom secrets are revealed, the one to whom God opens our eyes and unstops our ears and gives us those ears to hear and eyes to see, repentance occurs. Because even though God judged Israel, and even though Isaiah preached to a hard-hearted people, do you know what God did? God preserved a remnant. And we've just come out of the Christmas season where we just studied that God preserved His covenant promise, that seed, through Israel's unbelief so that Jesus would be born. And so God, even in His judgment of a hard-hearted people, saved some. And He saved those to whom responded rightly. Their eyes were open and their ears could hear and they perceived and they followed God rightly. Isaiah was among them. Isaiah could see God rightly. Isaiah could hear God rightly. And Isaiah obeyed out of his heart. But Jesus' teaching also reveals the blindness of the world. He reveals the blindness of the world. We've just seen the religious leaders of the day. The ones who were tasked, whose responsibility it was to preach and teach the things of God. They were totally blind. They had this and yet could not see. They had this, they read this, they heard this, and yet they could not hear. Because here comes the, the long-awaited Son of God, and yet they could not see Him. Jesus' teaching reveals the blindness of the religious leaders of His day. It reveals the blindness of the crowds because Jesus is teaching the things of God and all the crowd wants is, hey, can you heal me? Can you make my life better? Can you help me out? It reveals the blindness of the world in his own family. His own family couldn't see. His own family couldn't see who he was. And so they decided, well, he's just crazy. It reveals the blindness of the world even in the disciples. Because the disciples had to ask, Jesus, what, what do you mean? What are you saying? If anybody was going to get this, surely it would have been the disciples. But Mark's point is that even we, the followers of, of, of Christ, don't have true and complete understanding until God opens our eyes. We can't think our way to, to fullness. We can't, we can't reason our way to knowing God completely without Him opening our eyes. And so one of the difficult points of this text is that the message of the gospel has two simultaneous functions. That the message of God has two functions and is happening at the same time. One of them is salvation. When the gospel is preached, God says people will be saved. And yet when the gospel is preached, Jesus says people will be hardened. That the gospel of Jesus Christ is both the message of salvation to those who are hearing and those who are seeing and those who are repenting. But the message of the gospel is also what hardens the heart of those who are not seeing and those who are not hearing and those who are not repenting. It functions much like the pillar in the Egyptian wilderness when the, when the Israelites had fled Egypt and they'd come up to the sea and they said, God, what are we going to do? 
And all of a sudden, this pillar of smoke and fire appears behind them. And it blocks the Egyptians. And so at one and the same time, that pillar was judgment and condemnation on the Egyptians. While it was a pillar of fire and smoke of salvation to the Israelites. In that one action, God was saving and condemning. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 1 where he says, to those of us who are being saved, the cross is the most essential, heartfelt, truthful message we can ever hear. And yet to those who aren't being saved, it's utter foolishness. The gospel message is at one and the same time saving and hardening. And so take heed. Understand, this is how the kingdom of God works. It's not for us to walk around saying, All right, are you going to be hardened? Are you going to be saved? Are you going to respond? That's not for us to, to decide. That's not the point of the text. To say that it's ours to choose is wrong. That's God's work. Jesus will go on to say our job is to be the sower. If we are responding rightly to God, we're to be the sower who sows as liberally as I can. I'm not even just sowing in good soil. I'm sowing over here in the rocks. Because God might and can and will call people out of the rocks to be saved. But understand, Jesus is saying, one of the secrets of the kingdom of God is this is how the kingdom works. Therefore, be very careful how you hear the word of God. Well, we need to understand the parable. So you see on your notes there, the section, take care how you hear. Take care how you listen to the word of God. The emphasis of the parable is on how we receive the word of God and come to understand it. The emphasis is on how we receive it. Jesus highlights that there are spiritual and uh, spiritual hearing and a physical hearing. That there's a way that we comprehend things spiritually in our souls that's different from just the audible sounds that our ears pick up. There's a difference in what you are hearing the sound of my voice right now and what Jesus could be doing through his word as I speak. It's not that I'm saying eloquent things or I'm saying this in a way that only I can say it in because that's, that's not true. Anybody could say the things I'm saying. What Jesus is saying is that there is a special work in our hearts, a spiritual hearing that only He can control. So let me ask you this question. How do you prepare to hear the Word of God? How do you prepare... To hear the word. Maybe it's a Saturday night. Are you preparing yourself mentally, physically, and emotionally to gather with your brothers and sisters to hear God's word? Are you reading? Are you praying? Are you fasting? Are you eager to hear God's word? Maybe it's on a Monday morning and you're about to go into work and you are dreading what is about to happen. Not because it's a bad day, just because it's work. How are you preparing yourself to hear God's word in your workplace? There's probably not going to be someone standing up preaching it like today. It might be the only word you hear is what's in your heart. 
how are you hearing the word of God? And Jesus' point is that if we refuse to make an effort, then no understanding will come. If we don't make an effort to hear God's word, if we are not disciplining ourselves to hear, if we are not setting ourselves under the word to receive it, Jesus says there will come no understanding. He says in verse 15, those who hear and yet Satan snatches it away, that first soil on the roadside. He said, if you recall, the soils are to explain the spiritual natures of our, of our, of our heart, the spiritual, uh, the spiritual uh, environment in our heart. Well, the sower casts the seed liberally. Some of it falls along the roadside and is snatched away. And Jesus says, that's Satan. For some people... They will hear the word of God and it will take no root because almost immediately Satan snatches the word away. We don't know who that is, but God does. And Jesus says this happens. He says in verse 15, The sower sows the word and the one that falls along the path where it is sown, when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes it away. And so this is a warning to indifferent listeners. This is a warning to those who hear the word of God indifferently. Jesus is saying very clearly, there are two kingdoms at war with one another. The kingdom of God, which will ultimately win, and the kingdom of Satan. And the kingdom of Satan right now is alive and active in the world, and he works in the world, and he steals the truth of the gospel from people. He will snatch it away. And so indifferent hearing of the word is dangerous. Jesus says that nothing brings salvation to this soil. That Satan is ready to keep these people from believing. And the sad fact of reality, the terrifying truth is that people sit in churches week in and week out and leave totally unaffected. They come in, they hear nothing of truth, and they leave. Because Satan snatches it away. Pastor said, and I think he's right, that this is an active judgment of God. Just like with the Israelites in Isaiah 5, they heard the word of God, and yet they were judged in hearing, and they were hardened because of their sinfulness. God had given them over to their hard-heartedness, much like he says in Romans 1, that God gives people over to their sins at a certain point. And it should terrify us for indifferent listening. But he says in verse 16, there's another type of soil. The seed that falls along the rocky ground. And Jesus says, these are the ones who hear and yet are only fair weather believers. The rocky ground does not allow for root. The seed goes down and it hits a rock and it has nowhere to go. And so it's a very shallow plant with no life, no ability to grow and gain strength. In Hosea chapter 6, Hosea calls these people the morning dew or the morning mist. It's light. It has no root. And when the sun rises up, poof, it's gone. Jesus is warning that one's faith must be deeply rooted to survive. If you, are, if you farm, which a lot of you do, or you've been raised around it, you know the necessity of a strong, established root system. And Jesus is saying that without root, faith will wither. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 14, verse 22, that through many afflictions we will enter the kingdom of God. 
That through many afflictions, through many hardships. You see, the deepest walk with God often comes through the suffering and pressures of this world. And so for the believer, for the good soil, walking with God in pain and suffering turns pain into privilege. And if you've ever walked with God in the depths of suffering, then you know that even though this outer self is wasting away, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, even though this outer body is decaying and this life is wasting away, my inner self, he says, is being renewed day by day. Perhaps you've seen the news, there's a brother pastor who's in China has been sentenced to nine years in prison because of his preaching of the gospel. The, the state has accused him of subversive action for preaching the gospel and writing about the gospel. So they've sentenced him to nine years in prison. And his church made a statement and said to the state, You are wrong, but understand the gospel will flourish. It'll flourish right here in our church, even though our pastor's been taken. It will flourish in the prison where the pastor is going because the state can't do anything. But Jesus is saying, if you are only a fair-weather believer, if you have no roots, then that kind of stuff is going to derail your faith. Well, the third type of soil is that of a, the weed garden or the, or the thorn garden. This is the joys and the riches and the pleasures and the troubles of the world. And Jesus says there's going to be people who hear the gospel and who respond to the gospel, but before they begin to grow, before they establish a deep enough root system, their loyalties lie still with the world. And so money will become something that trumps God. The troubles and stresses that we deal with become so overwhelming, we ask the question, God, why? Instead of realizing God works in our troubles and in our sufferings. Probably the most clear picture of this soil in the Bible is the rich young ruler. Where he comes to Jesus and says, tell me, teacher, how can I receive eternal life? And Jesus says, go and sell all you have. Give it to the poor and come and follow me. You remember what the young, rich young ruler did? That he went away... Sad. Because his possessions were great. <coughs> Most of us know firsthand the well-known truth that our desires always exceed our earnings for most folks. And in our consumer-oriented society, a faith that calls for sacrifice and service to others soon takes a back seat. Those who are satisfied with their level of devotion to God, but never satisfied with the abundance of what they already have, will never bear a harvest worth taking away. If you are satisfied with how much you give to God, but you can't get enough of the world, take heed, be warned. Jesus says it'll choke out your faith. You can't live there. Well, then he says that there are those who hear and who understand. To the good soil, which is the Christian, the Christian welcomes Jesus' teaching exclusively so that other concerns do not strangle it. It sends down deep roots into grace and extends upward with a harvest of faithful obedience. 
The good soil allows the seed of the gospel to send down those necessary roots into God's grace so much so that it becomes established and sturdy and it sends up all of the harvest of fruitful obedience. And so I ask you, brothers and sisters, are you hearing the word of God? Are you bearing the fruits of the gospel? You see, if you are a faithful follower of Jesus, and this passage is a reminder of how the kingdom works and a commission to be the sower. Go and sow the seed wherever you are. If you stay around the rocky path, sow it there because God will call men and women, boys and girls from the rocky path. If you live in amongst which our culture is, a weed-infested, thorn-infested garden, sow the seed because God is going to save people from there. But to those who may find themselves as one of the three poor soils, Jesus says, take heed. See, in this story, the disciples inquire of Jesus as to the meaning. They hear the parable and they come to him. And so they show themselves to be the good soil. They show themselves to be, Jesus, we want to know. Jesus, we need to know. They are the insiders. They are the ones who do the will of God. They're the brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers that Jesus says in chapter 3. But the parable also highlights that there is a wrong hearing of the word. Hearing, physical, audible hearing is not enough. We can hear it wrongly. You see, the beaten down path of the unrepentant. The rocky soil are the dropouts who only want a life without hardship. The thorn-infested ground are those whose life is more wrapped up in money and having the best things in this world rather than being faithful to Jesus. And if you are concerned this morning that you are among the three bad soils, if you are hearing this and you are concerned that that's where you live, that may be the Holy Spirit calling you to hear for the first time and repent. So don't take it lightly. It may be that the seed of the gospel is falling on good soil for the first time. This is an offensive text of Scripture. There are no two ways about that. But the question I want to ask you is this. Does your offense, if you, are, if you find yourself offended at this, does your offense stem from the discovery that God's ways are not your ways? See, we don't get to decide and tell God how He should operate. Jesus' point is this, that if our own hearts reign supreme, we will be alienated from God. If our own hearts rule our lives, then we will be alienated from God. Yet to the one who sincerely asks, For that not to be the case. For the one who comes to Christ and says, I don't want that to be true of me. I want to be saved. I want to be the good soil. Jesus says, to that person, salvation comes. Doesn't matter what soil they are. Doesn't matter whether we decided they were good enough for salvation or not, which is foolishness anyway. Jesus says, if we repent and come to him in faith, which is why I read James a few moments ago, if we ask God in faith, We will be saved. Let me invite you to bow your head, close your eyes. Our response this morning is going to be the communion table. God has sent me here today, no doubt, to call some of you to repentance.
which is why I have had a heavy weekend. God has sent me here to call some of you to repentance. And so I say to you, the word is near to you. If you are one of those three soils, then I plead with you on the truth of God's word, repent and be saved. But if you are a faithful follower of Jesus and you are about to come to the table where we are reminded that Jesus saves. And so I want you to begin to prepare yourself. That you are about to partake in what Jesus says is the sacrifice of his body and the shedding of his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And so, Lord Jesus, as we come to your table, I pray that you would meet us now in a special way. That as we celebrate the table, that we would do so as an act of worship. And that you would join us in this moment and bind us up in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray this in your holy name. Amen. I invite you to uncover the table.